is a gentle listener. Listening to that at this point, we Definitely. haven't started the episode. I record everything for blackmail oh, purposes. Shoot. <laughs> wow. That's wow. Even when Audacity isn't running. Yeah, no, that's. I've got something like in you've my got, pocket. Oh, I was just thinking in the, in all the all the ceilings. Yeah, no, you your entire apartment is bugged. Yeah, I mean, there are three or four people, I'm pretty sure, have bugged my entire apartment. <laughs> I'm honestly surprised there aren't, like, stacks of different people's bugs that <laughs> fall out of the chinks periodically. Oh, gosh. Okay. Hello, gentle listener. Hi. I'm, you're Michael. You're not the gentle listener. Oh. You're in the title, which means you're the one of the two people who I couldn't have been addressing just now. Oh. Okay, so we're going to go around again, take okay. another run at that, and you're going to try to not mess it right up this time. <laughs> Alright, I'll do better. All right. Sorry. You're going to keep your hands and legs inside. Okay. Um, you know. Yeah. I, I know you're naked, but hold on to something anyway. Uh, Ow! <laughs> not that. Oh. No, not that either. Oh, uh, that's my life. I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> well, you know what your mom always said: if you don't know what you're hey, what to do with your hands, don't abuse don't the do fact anything. that don't abuse the fact that the rules haven't been given yet. <laughs> uh, my scotch and I will abuse anything we want. Wow, that sounds bad. That's Yikes. that's recorded. Yes, uh, it is. We're taking that right down to the police station. <laughs> Uh, don't, don't worry, the kitchen I cook in is right next to the police station in town, and, like, <laughs> me and the baker do threaten to murder each other about 7 to 25 times a day. Yeah, well, just get back in the kitchen. Oh! Oh! But it's... See what I just did? I, I'm struggling to make it come into... Anyway. <laughs> Hello, gentle listener, and Hi. welcome... No! Frick! Oh my gosh! All right, all right, we're gonna we're gonna try this one more time. Okay. And this time, if you mess it up, we're gonna change the title of this one. This episode is gonna be its own separate podcast, oh. right? And it's gonna be called Ethan in a room drinking scotch that Michael is also in, but not drinking the scotch with him it's such a long title and it's a really big hassle to get a separate feed onto <laughs> itunes well you should have thought of that before you messed it up oh okay i'll uh, try not to mess it up all right time. all right let's let's try i'll be this. quiet that's literally all you had to do i know it's not even a job it's just <laughs> the lack of doing any other job okay okay all right are you ready yeah i guess hello gentle listener welcome <laughs> I could hear you and they could hear you. So you didn't, you weren't subtle to anybody. <laughs> but I was quiet. <laughs> oh, technically that's true. And in the interest of fairness, I don't feel like I can actually be mad at you anymore. <laughs> All right, we're going to try this one more time. You're not going to say one more time last time. anything. Anything. Zero zilch nada. All right. <laughs> okay. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready to shut right up? Okay. Okay, ready? Hello, gentle listeners, and welcome to Michael and Ethan in a room with Scotch. I am your host, Michael Lilienthal, and this is my guest, Ethan Bartlett. That's not right! Now you messed it up! <laughs> I did, I did. But I'm not going to go back again, because the... Uh, They'll figure it out. The the tourists are giving us funny looks. <laughs> yes. All right. Keep about your business. 
unfortunately, the better half and also current owner, I guess, of this podcast is not here this time. No, wait, she's here for just a minute to tell us the to rules. To tell us the rules. Karen, what are the rules? Rule one, once the scotch is poured and the glasses clink, the scotch must not be mentioned at any time. If anyone mentions it, they lose. Rule two, no one's mother should be mentioned in any pejorative sense or any other sense not directly indicated by the text of the book being discussed. If any mothers are mentioned, the mentioner loses. Rule three, Ethan must never say the phrase first paragraph. If he does, he loses. Rule four, Michael must never say the words vampire, vampiric, or any derivative thereof. If he does, he loses. Rule five, if anyone has to use the bathroom during an episode, he or she loses. However, this should not stop anyone from doing so because this podcast is anti-UTI. And what happens if someone breaks the rules? If one person breaks a rule, they receive a punishment in the form of a verbal stunt chosen by the person who did not break the rule. All that being said, everyone, drink responsibly. Yeah, Ethan. Yeah, Michael. Gentle, Gentle listener. listener. Okay, and she left again because we're... Well, and also because we're recording this fairly late on a work night and she works in the morning and stuff. But mostly it's that she hates us. Yeah. Um, if true. we're being honest. Yeah. Yeah, we should be honest on a podcast. We are. I mean, we're pretty much always honest. We don't ever lie. We don't ever say anything even, like, sarcastic. No, nothing we say is untrue. That's, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, except for that. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. So, gentle listener, uh, as you may know, if you've listened to part one of this podcast, which, if you haven't, why are you listening to a podcast that says part two right there in the title? That's <laughs> so stupid of you. Well, okay, don't, like, we only have, like, 12 listeners, oh, so yeah. don't insult them. We, uh, we need all the ones we can get. Okay. Gentle listener, you made a completely... Stupid mistake! A... You're an idiot! Okay, well, gentle listener, Michael just said urine, so <laughs> that shows you how seriously you can take him. Um... <laughs> You made a very understandable mistake. Stupid mistake. A very understandable mistake, so but dumb. you should probably go back and listen to part one. Um, I was going to say, or the rest of this podcast won't make any sense, but it probably will make just as much sense, Yeah, it'll make sure. Anyway, we're reading the book uh, Wrinkle in Time this? by Madeline Langle. It's A Wrinkle in Time by Madeline Langle. Oh, um, that book. Yeah, this, that's I was one supposed right to read this book. Did you not... <sighs> So it was all that crap you said the last episode about nominalism and, and you know, formative influences. Like, was that literally just... I thought just, we were reading Twilight. Is that literally just what you say about every book? <laughs> like, you just have a set of stuff to say Shoot. about any given book? Shoot. Um, I'm exposed. And I'm yeah. not talking about my clothing. I mean, you are exposed that way, but you're not talking about that this time. Yep. I bet you don't even write your own sermons. Anyway... <laughs> <laughs> hmm. <laughs> huh. gentle listener did you hear that neither did i what didn't we hear it was a denial <laughs> anyway that's a river in egypt that's true uh that's not one of the oldest jokes in the book of course i made the urine joke already this episode you did, so, so we're just cooking with oil tonight um Woo! 
Oh, we didn't clink the glasses, so the rules aren't in place yet. No, they aren't yet. So We should do we that. We had Karen come in here in her nightgown and read the rules, and we didn't even clink the glasses to follow them. She also didn't establish a rule last episode. She didn't. So She relinquished her, her mistake, her right. really. Yep, she could have. We, we didn't stop Neither and give her a chance. Neither of our wives gave us a rule. That's true. Which is abnormal, considering yeah. the rest well, of our marriage. that's lives. what I was going to say. Maybe they figured... Like they've already the given us the time. Enough. Yeah, like like this is this is our room. Okay, so yeah. Like, the more that you say this, the less likely it sounds actually. No, so no. it's probably just that like they forgot. Anyway. No. Or they established it and we just ignored it. That sounds more likely. That sounds exactly like the rest of our marital lives. Yep. Yes. Okay. So. So uh. Yep. Slancha. Here's mud in your eye. All right. Yeah. So. A Wrinkle in Time. Yes. You said you had a question for me in the uh, last episode. I did say that. Uh, and then you forgot your question. No, I, I know oh, okay. what the question was. I'm just wondering if I should save it. Because it's about oh, okay. the ending of the book. Like, it's literally about the very last pages. Okay. Um, And I don't know if that's where we want to start. Let's start at the beginning for a Let bit. us... Because that's actually where I was going to start. Um, okay. Next, after I we're on the same page. You're literally the same page. Good page one. one. Good one. Page Thank one. You. Yeah. You Are explained you my me? joke now. Are you trying to trap <laughs> me? No. Like, I could have because you just explained my joke. I, Karen had made that a rule. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. But anyway, man. Ugh. Why do I have the sense that by the next episode this will be a rule, so I should it might be explain all the jokes because, this episode? Because, gentle listener, do you see what I have to work with? And by see, I mean just know and understand. Yeah, because sight, been is, established sight as... is so limiting. Exactly. All right. We did that joke a bunch of times, too. Anyway. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... I, it's interesting to me. So, as we talked about last episode, like, I read this this book a bunch of times when I was a kid, right? Yep. And there were no fights in it, which, like, mm-hmm. for me as a kid to like a book with no fights in it mm-hmm. was pretty big, remarkable. Big. Um, You know, like, I went through a long phase where pretty much everything that I liked was either Redwall or G.A. Henty. And G.A. Henty is this Excuse old... Excuse you. Thank you. Um, is this old Victorian novelist who wrote, you know, 150 sort of boys' own novels. And usually his modus operandi was find historical period with lots and lots of fighting in it, uh, create, like, a a likable, period-accurate, like, 14- to 16-year-old male, you know, boy protagonist, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like, basically an... A wish fulfillment avatar for my Victorian boy readers, right. my English English Victorian boy readers. Um, Someone they them... can emulate on the street as they're playing with their boy panions. Exactly. Boy panions is an extremely disturbing phrase <laughs> that I wish you hadn't just used. But here we are. Anyway, uh, yeah, you know, and then drop this this boy avatar into the bloodiest and like the you know the <coughs> bless you. <laughs> Excuse me. It's alright, I'm over in the corner dying. <laughs> One thing in that statement you just made was a lie. <laughs> Unfortunately, it wasn't the dying part. And my CPR certification is like several years out of date. So. I failed my CPR test. Did so, you? Yeah. When? In high school. Oh, okay. So, I mean, it was like, oh my gosh, 10 years ago. Yeah. Ugh. I was at the doctor's the other day. 
And he was like, have you had a tetanus shot in the last 10 years? And I was like, well, yeah, I had all my boosters at age 18. Crap. Crap. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. that's why I had the bandage on, on my arm that I had earlier today and took off. Mm -hmm. um, you know should, that one? Should I punch you? Try it. See what happens. <laughs> um, anyway, so G.A. Henty would you know drop his his violent violent boy panions into the midst of <laughs> See, whatever historical fighting there was right um and then redwall of course is just about animals doing the same thing Medi animals in medieval garb just slaughtering each other yep yep uh, it was uh redwall was so great anyway, the badgers were the best yeah yeah they were um Anyway, before we start shouting Eulalia, so <laughs> Wrinkle in Time is a very different book, obviously. No fights very at all. Different. But I still See, loved it. Can at I this point age. out I don't wanna derail you too much and don't worry. I derailed myself so thoroughly so, that when I get to the point I'm making, you will punch me. Good. <laughs> Go on. Um you've said um uh oh, what what did you say? Not boy panions, but that's stuck in my head now. But like the, the 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 good old boy stories. The boy the boy out or boys own stories. Boys own yes yeah, yes yeah, yeah. you've said that a couple of times now between last episode and this episode and what's funny to me is this is a female protagonist with with female on a hero's journey quest. Yes. Often you know in historically in literature of so which this, a boy yes would be on and her sidekicks are boys. Yeah 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 and which is just she beautiful. is rescuing her father right who is the damsel in distress right in this book her so father is, is almost literally described as a damsel in distress pretty much and so this is like the the female version of the boy's own story it really is extent. it absolutely and it you know this uh this whole sort of hero's journey you know, structural thing that we talked about last mm -hmm. episode um, is is very much the same structure as, like, one of these sort of boys' own type stories. Yes. Um, except that Le Guin, Le Guin Langle um, inverts... anybody. Le Guin is also an excellent author. I know. Um, I'm, I'm not sure which way would be the insult in that. Neither of them would be. I think they'd prop anyway that's <laughs> a rabbit trail we don't need to go down they're both just female the rabbits were also really good in redwall that's that's true the rabbits were excellent um i mean Le Guin and langle are both female authors who had major influences on me and in, in uh you know formative years and they had the audacity to have the same first two letters of their last name jerks and both have french well, hold on. derived last names hold on because there's an apostrophe. An apostrophe is not a letter, Michael. It's a character. It's a character, but it's not a letter, so it's still not a letter. But it's a character. That's and it's if you if you were arranging Michael. this alphabetically, Michael. Langle would be way before Le Guin. To create or to create to uh, reference another great work of literature, the apostrophes that bloom in the spring, tra la, have nothing to do with the case. <laughs> um... <laughs> So, with that out of the way, I forgot what I was saying at all. Oh, just we the whole boys about... on yeah, it's very much an inversion. Yes. Oh, and and so, you know, this this book has in its in its sort of a literary ancestry has a lot of um callback to sort of the the dream quest or the um 
yeah you know, sort of phantasmagorical journey yep yep um which the is journey into the underworld sort of yeah yeah but like in in boy's own yep. fiction and in like pulp fiction which is sort of an out outgrowth of a similar genre or even in dime novels you know you you'd have this you almost said genre that fortunately i didn't do that <laughs> thank you um you'd just you'd have this sort of a uh i don't even know what to call it now um you know like like a almost a loosely strung together series of vignettes where sure. you know, you're mm-hmm. you have plot point one on this planet that just gets described this way and then plot point two is this whole new planet mm-hmm. um you know it's all... you know a little Ed- edgar rice burroughs um, yeah uh the 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 mars the martian Chronicles the john stuff. carter books yeah, yeah or yeah, even yeah. also edgar rice burroughs the tarzan, tarzan. yeah yeah um yeah absolutely uh but it's interesting because a lot of those literary antecedents are very male dominated yes um and i guess that's uh one thing i was i was saying starting to say a few rabbit trails ago is the just one thing that struck me in this reading that i don't think i was do you feel like that phrase is prejudiced against rabbits um <laughs> no, because I've been in wood where there are oh, okay. literal, all, all right. literally all kinds it's of rabbit trails. Factual. They're exactly like that. Right. Um, uh, yeah. Anyway, what really the like heck that. was I saying? <laughs> See what I did there. Yeah, I hate you a lot. Is what you did. We were, there. Talking, we were talking about Edgar Rice Burroughs, male-dominated. Um, so yeah. So, oh, one one thing that struck me in this read through that I don't think I, I this podcast was male-dominated. Pers- it is now that Karen is it, gone. Because, I mean, even with Karen here, it no, didn't... No, she pretty much dominated it. I mean, she did, but it still didn't pass the Bechdel test. That's because true. there was no other woman for Karen to talk to. Like, really what we should do is get Karen and Sarah on in the same episode. And let them talk to each other. Let and them we'll take talk to each other, not talk about us, pass the Bechdel test. But then also what will happen is they're both way smarter than we are. Right. And they will take over the podcast and do it better. And, yes. So... Uh, that's, you know, spoilers for the, the last episode of this show. Yep. Which will also be the first episode of Karen and, and Sarah, Sarah in a room with s- Italian sunsets, probably. Yeah, probably. Um, that I will probably make them. And crocheting. And crocheting. <laughs> and not talking at all. <laughs> you just hear the sound of the crochet hook going back and forth. Yep. Um, what the crap was I saying? <laughs> oh, so what struck me on this read-through that I had mission missed... to derail you as much as possible. You know, in my previous read-throughs when I was 14 or whatever, is the fact that Calvin is basically the girlfriend in all of these ancestral Accurate. stories. And I, you know, I don't mean to do like a, like a, you know... No, but it is, it is almost super a snarky perfect thing, inversion. It is a very perfect inversion. Yes. Um, and you want to know what's funny about that? What? I've talked about how formative this book is for me, right? So, formative also for me, behaving towards women, oh, is Calvin. Interesting. I, um, I, like, that's, that's, even when it, it was conscious for me, mm-hmm. as, as a young lad after my first and second and third readings of this book. Sure. But then it became just part of my psyche, that sure. when I behave towards women... I behave as Calvin. Oh, that's fascinating. Which is like is so interesting because he is the exact female companion. Right. <laughs> in, in in almost any of, any of this book's 
genre antecedent. No, but yeah, just like you, I didn't realize that until this read. Yeah, yeah, because it's you know it's he's very much he's there. Um, you know, he's a presence. He's a real person, but but a he's lot just of what... there for the protagonist. Yeah, for Meg. Um, you know, sometimes for her to like hold hands with, but yep. other times when for she her needs to... strength, he provides that strength. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, and yeah. and and uh, um, you know, sometimes he's he's there for her to sort of be like, no, I can't fall back on him. I need to do this. Myself. Yes, exactly. Um, he's literally and there. He's, to... he's there, just wailing and screaming against the heavens because she's leaving. Yeah, and he's he's literally there, you know, when she has to go, you know, and it's that same scene where where you know, in a lot of even you know action adventure movies to this day, mm-hmm. let alone you know antecedent to this book in in 1962, which like this. 62 seems like a really early copyright date for this to be inverting so much of that stuff. Right? Um, but uh, I was going to say we'll talk about how Madeline Langle is a genius later, but I think that's been the theme that's, of these episodes. At least I hope it has. Um, yeah. If it hasn't, it should have been. Basically. Uh, but, y- yeah, so, you know, he, he literally has the, it's the inverted version of the scene where the you know in a lot of like Burroughs novels for example the the big strapping male hero would have to be like all right I have to go off and fight this battle um and the girl would be like no no you need to stay with me I love you mm-hmm. and the hero would be like I know I love you too but I have to go off and fight this battle is it's almost that exact scene it's, in reverse it's that exact and exchange. then he gives her the kiss that like yep you know sends her off sort of you know with with, with his, the blessing and yeah. the strength. From yeah. the lover and yeah. Um, and it's fascinating to me because, you know, it works really well without dehumanizing Calvin as yes. a person. And that's um, really the genius because it yeah. inverts all of those things but also gives him that depth that yes. we talked about in the last episode. That we talked about in the last episode. Like Calvin is very much his own person. He almost has he certainly has more personality and character than he needs for his function in this yep. book which you you talked about um quite well in the last episode but oh thank you <laughs> you're welcome we're gonna cut all of this out right like, no. this is just okay let me put no. that a different way we're gonna cut all of this no. out right no shoot okay <laughs> Anyway, I just participated in that. Uh, <laughs> yes, you did. Anyway, <laughs> I'm gonna cut you. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna, not. I'm gonna cut you, like with a knife, though. No. Oh. With with like editing shoes. Oh. Well, I have yeah. it on tape. I know, I know. So, you know, whatever. Clap them in irons. Um. Yeah. See, book him. <laughs> uh, what was I even saying? Calvin. Calvin. Oh woman. yes. No, and and he, you know, uh. Because in in a lot of sort of again the the antecedent stuff, the the female character, um, the the girlfriend character is almost dehumanized. Like certain yeah. feminist critics who I think have a very valid point have said mm-hmm. that a lot of times that female character could be replaced with a sexy lamp, um, and still be <laughs> the still serve the same function textually. Um, Turn her into a blow up doll. Yeah. Same yeah. Thing. Yeah, um, or like, you know, a, a shape, a lamp of a shapely. Like, leg I appreciate the whole Bechdel test thing. Sometimes I think 
you you still have something good without having to pass the Bechdel yeah, test. Yeah, I mean, and the Bechdel test, in fairness, was a but inherently a limited thing. It was never right. meant it, to be it a comprehensive. It kind of just points out the pendulum swing. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, but yeah, this you know, uh, again, Calvin, Calvin. Not only is he not but dehumanized, I'm just a white male. <laughs> right. My opinion doesn't count. Right. I mean, neither my, is yours. Mine you jerk. No, absolutely. You're a jerk. Not. I know you're a jerk too, though. You're so. a misogynist jerk. Uh, okay. Uh, drink your water. Um, <laughs> um, oh, what was I saying? Oh, so Calvin. not only is Calvin not dehumanized, right? He also, like, I would say there's nothing unmasculine about or out of character about anything that he says or does absolutely um, not he's very much you know as a especially again in the early 60s a, a sort of red-blooded american boy would be he's very protective yep. of everyone he cares about but especially the females um and you know there's mm-hmm. there's a very much sort of a a a limited pendulum swing where the book acknowledges that it's as valid but also shows that that in and of itself can't always mm-hmm. be the end all and be all that it's there and it's going to be there and it's not invalid for it to be there but it's not what saves the day right and i think that's what makes this book such a victory in that sense mm-hmm. because it doesn't it doesn't pendulum swing. Yeah, yeah. It it acknowledges the pendulum swing, right. but then comes back to the reasonable and more accurate, correct, helpful yeah. middle. Yeah, yeah. Um and again it's it's that it's that whole It it humanizes everyone. Right. It very much does. And it's you know, and part of that is just Langle being a brilliant author and mm-hmm. you know, being able to humanize all of her characters across their you know, variety of, of, uh, beings, I guess. Um, but all, you know, part of it also is just, I forgot what I was going to say. No, uh, it's, it's gone. That's okay. That that one's gone. Um, it's, you know, Eh. a tesseract opened and it, it was lost. It was lost. It's trapped on Kamazots. We were, we've been for the last, according to the time ticker, 28 minutes, trying to talk about the, opening page of this book yes um which is excellent it um, is we talked about oh the we did first talk line. about some of it yes we talked about the first um, line one but thing then it goes on <laughs> yes one thing yeah. that so last episode i mentioned that there were two bits of this book that stuck and with me bits. thank you <laughs> that stuck with me even when like it had been such a long time that since i had read it that um you know most of it had faded away and the the one was the discussion where somehow sight, which is like especially yeah. in our culture, the most like treasured the and valued sense, sense uh, is made to seem like a limiting thing. Um, the second yeah. one is from the first chapter, I believe. Okay. Um, no, it is. Yeah, because you know. Uh, so this first this first chapter. This um, first chapter sets everything up so well. Oh, and what I started to say before, yeah. for one thing, is that when I was a kid reading this book, um, despite you know the fact I liked it, even though it didn't have any killing at all, right? Um, but I it did it it does still have that like adventure in that sense it, of like yes. you're seeing you know 
things very much out of the ordinary. Um, but I was always really impatient with the first couple chapters of mm-hmm. any book like this, any book that had that sort of dream quest kind of a... Like, get to the action to already! Like, get to the fantasy part. Yep. Like, I, you know, this is all real. Like, I experience some version of this every day. I want the fantasy stuff, mm-hmm. right? Um, on this reread, I almost found myself wishing that the just the stuff with Meg and Charles Wallace and their mother interacting and them having problems at school and sort of addressing those. Like, I just wish all of that would go on so much. Like, I would read an entire book just See, of that stuff. And I... I... If if my fifth grade self came forward in time and talked to me, yeah, um, I I can't speak for what he would actually say, but I feel like even then, mm-hmm. I loved the first chapter of this book. I I, and I, I wanted remember, it to keep going. <laughs> I remember thinking it was great and I loved these characters, but just being a little bit impatient for the actual sure, one, sure. what I had come to this book for to to have. Where's the action? Except, yeah, yeah. Except like it starts with a storm, so it's already exciting. Yeah. And, well, for me, too, like, the protagonist is living in the attic. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like, she has a bedroom in the attic? That's so cool! And, like, yeah. I wanted to just keep reading about this interesting life. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, the, you know, I even at the time, I at, when I was 14 or whatever, I would have acknowledged that there was great stuff going on and interesting mm-hmm. stuff. But, yeah, I just would have wanted to get to the action. But, no, this this one I wished that first, like two chapters would have been its own book and then maybe the the fantasy stuff could be the sequel oh, like, sure, that sure. would have been fine with me yeah um and part of it and what i'm about to say is probably influenced by the fact that um i the the book i paused reading to read this book in time for recording is nicholas nickleby oh um, <laughs> by by charles dickens have you read nicholas nickleby? i haven't okay i've started it on a handful of occasions nicholas but i've nickleby... never finished is uh just i love it i love it so much um partly because what it is is tom jones as written by charles dickens <laughs> um which when i'm in sort of a, a regency slash victorian you know british fiction mood i realize that's what i want and it doesn't really have a plot it doesn't really have identifiable character arcs like i'm most of the way like i'm 600 out of 800 pages through this book at this point and the characters are all pretty well the same for the most like some relationships have changed but as far as interior stuff sure they're, they're pretty much the same character but it's so good and it's excuse me it's so funny and it's just just like i could just live in this book for sure ever and you know there's melodrama and there's just stuff that would play to a victorian audience that really doesn't play i don't even care like it's just that good okay but one of the things i noticed on reading through nicholas nickleby um is dickens sense of staging a lot of the scenes in Mm -hmm. nicholas nickleby especially um even more so than like other dickens books i've read they're if you if you sort of picture them in your mind's eye you could almost see them in a you know, classic, like, proscenium stage, you know, a, a, mm-hmm. a stage with a fourth wall, and the entrances and the exits are just wonderfully timed to produce either comedy or drama, or, you know, there's just a lot of the kind of thing where it's like... Well, a character... everything is deliberate. Yeah, 
there's like a character monologuing about how dissatisfied he is with his lot in in life including the person he works for and then he accidentally hides in a closet and of course the person he works for comes on and is like doing a nefarious deal with the second person of course and during that thing they say oh i hope old you know so-and-so couldn't can't hear this and they're like it's an empty room clearly nobody could be hiding in a closet you know it's like that classic stagey stuff um polonius behind the curtain yeah exactly except you know less horrifying and no stabbing in the gut right the horrifying um oh is that what you meant (laughs) a little bit okay uh you know also dead for a decade dead thank you hamlet um you're welcome ladies and gentlemen hamlet the cheese danish (laughs) uh mozzarella very good (laughs) Oh, this almost just turned into a very different podcast. Anyway, um, you know, and and especially, like, and I know Dickens, you know, wrote for the stage as much as he tried to suppress his scripts later. Like, he cut his teeth as a theater writer, as a a writer for the popular theater. Yep. Um, And, you know, even though he tried to make that not seem like a thing he had done, you can see it in his novels. Like, his sense of of timing and character and scene is very much honed by the stage and that's the exact same thing i was getting in the first chapter of this book sure um no the the other chapters you know as we talked some about last episode they get very much away from something that would play in a much more visual medium like the the theater or the film or film you know um just characters sort of standing around monologuing but not in an action-filled mm-hmm. shakespearean way um but this first chapter just it's all it is almost dickensian i think in its sense of like timing and and absolutely you know, comic comic uh gimmicks and things absolutely i mean just um, like the entrance of mrs what's it yes which exactly. is fantastic and is foreshadowed by meg's internal monologue yes and it oh it's it's excellent anyway yes um, but what I will say is, uh, the other, uh, out of the two things that always have stuck with me out of this book, the other one, and I'm trying to, uh, uh, find it quick, is Mrs. What's It just turning to, um, here it is, it's page 21, I think, in my copy. Okay. So, and in this wonderful sort of Dickensian, stagey, you know, scenic way, and I don't know, I mean, I'm obviously sure Lengel was familiar with Dickens. I'm not oh, sure. I'm trying to claim that she got this straight from Dickens. There's plenty of places you could do it, but it just reminded me of Dickens. Uh, but this, this, this very stagey thing, so, you know, Meg gets up, she comes down to the to the uh, kitchen. Charles Wallace does a little bit of, of a technique that um, Conan Doyle used a lot in the Sherlock Holmes stories where he's saying what should be said several lines down, but he's already there. So yep. he's, he's saying, you know, oh, there's, don't worry, there's already milk boiling. Why is there milk boiling? Well, for the hot chocolate that you want. Oh, I do want hot chocolate. You know, and that, for mother. Yeah, and also <laughs> for mother. This. Who's then... And she's like, then what do I want? Then. Yeah. Exactly what you've already made. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Which, again, you know, the mother's entrance even is very stagey. Yep. Um, so... Uh, this all happens. Mrs. What's It makes her wonderful grand entrance. They do the, the mother and Mrs. What's It do their it's wonderful baffling bit. and like borders that it bridges that line between the fantastic and the mundane. Yeah, 
Very much so. Like, yep. if you didn't know this was a fantasy story... It this, would still fit. It would work perfectly yep. well. But it also works as a as sort of yep. a fantastic thing. Um, you know, and just Charles Wallace already knowing Mrs. What's-It well enough to just be like, Mrs. What's-It, what are you doing right? out here in the storm? And this, you know, ethereal heavenly being is like, Wild well, nights are my glory! Well, five-year-old child who's yelling at me. Um, but, you know, she clearly just adores him. Yes. So, uh, and then there's the comic bit with, with Mrs. What's-It and the mother in the boots. Pulling the boots out, yep, um, yep. Which, you can see that on stage. You just can see definitely. it. You know, and even Mrs. What's-It costume like you can just see oh, yeah, that as absolutely a, as a, you that's know, hilarious on a stage it's wonderful it, it sets itself up as a comedy yeah absolutely um and it never you know i mean and even with it was a dark and stormy night like yeah. this first chapter is very sort of you know telegraphing that there is is lightness and there is humor yeah. even this, amidst this storm yeah which is sort of it's a microcosmic thing encapsulation of it, the rest of the book can really, i just in a way. like it, it's kind of coalescing in my brain right now that there's a beautiful match in the first chapter uh -huh. where you laugh at meg for mm -hmm. how she feels and thinks but you also are right there with her yeah with how she thinks feels I mean, and thinks partly because you know it's so identifiable how she feels and thinks but she's so in it that yep. she can't get outside of it to right. laugh. But the reader is also placed in a position of being able to see outside of it. Yeah. Like, outside of it and within it. So the reader becomes the perfect bridge crosser in this communication that yeah. is one of the themes of this book. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that Anyway, that's my little insertion into your... Thank you. No, talk. no, it's, it's very good. Anyway, so what I'm working up to is they have this wonderful comic bit with the boots and everything. Mm -hmm. And so far, part of what keeps us grounded in reality for a little bit longer than we might have been otherwise is the mother. Yeah. Who obviously, like, the mother figure is, you know, the adult in this sort of world of children. And her reactions to um, Mrs. What's-It are going to temper our reactions. Right. Um, differently as we're children versus reading this as adults, but they're still going to have that effect, right. right? Um, so she, you know, she's reacting to Mrs. What's-It essentially as an adult would react to someone who is very much out of the ordinary, but not threatening. Right. Like, Mrs. Murray is clearly, you know, doesn't see this person as a threat to her children in any way um you know and she's that being the case she's then perfectly willing to be kind and empathetic and so forth to her um and then mrs what's it just turns and drops what might be just the best line in the whole book um and it's a book filled with best lines but yeah just the fact and she's Still in this comic moment where she's like shoving her foot squelchily into and it's, it's this water-filled boot. It's interrupted yeah. by a shove. Which again, shove, you can see shove. this just playing out on a stage. Like a, a good actor, you know, is going to say part of this line, shove, pause to let the audience hear that like squelch. Yep. Say part of the line, shove, shove again, you know. Squelch. And it's yep. just, you know, broken up such that it's... It, it seems like one continuous thing, but also the disconnect makes it funny. And, mm -hmm. but, so she just drops, by the way, 
There is such a thing as a tesseract. And it's just, and you know... Every reader is like, what the heck is that? Right. But Mrs. Murray suddenly reacts completely differently. Yep. And being that she's literally the mother figure that we've connected with and, like, tempered our reactions yep. to, that just sets the stage for everything else about this novel. Yeah. You can now accept that there's time travel and there are other dimensions or and other the, you know, the planets. The fantastic and... becomes real at that point. Yeah, because Mrs. Murray suddenly is like, there's no way just a funny little tramp could know, like, something what? is going on. Can I um, introduce my segment but it's not my normal segment, my yeah. names with Michael segment. Absolutely. Instead, it's words with Michael. Okay. Words with Michael. Because tesseract is not a word before this book that you'd be able to Google and find out what it means. Really? Um, and not just because Google didn't exist in 1962. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, uh, I guess that solves it. No. Yeah, yeah. No, um... Because tesseract comes from Greek, okay, and it comes from the Greek word for the number forty. Oh, interesting. Um, which aside from all the other biblical references in yeah. this book, and I tried to write down as many of them as I could. Right. Um, Romans eight was a big one. Sure. Yeah. In here. Yeah. Anyway, um, besides that, tesseract, tesseractos. Uh-huh. Being 40 in Greek. Mm. 40 is a big number in the Bible. Right. Uh, the flood, 40 days and 40 nights of rain. Right. Right. Uh, Israel after the Exodus, 40 years in the wilderness. Right. Jesus in the desert, 40 days of temptation. Right. Um, 40 is a big number, and it's all about the... It's all about change. It's all about growth. Mm. Um, with with Noah and the flood, it's, it's about purging the evil and... Right establishing the righteous right. with uh israel it's the same thing purging the wicked generation and bringing up a new generation that can right. enter the promised land with jesus it's it's him entering into his work right. uh it's 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 him going through the the trial of of uh you know the 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 hero's journey so to speak sure. that um going past all the, the, the difficulties and getting into the actual accomplishing. Sure. It applies to Meg because she goes through a tesseract right. and then saves her father and Charles Wallace. Right. <laughs> and Interesting. She goes through the 40. Yeah, absolutely. And then comes the, the redemption. Right. That's fascinating. Um... Uh, while we're on the topic of the the biblical thing, I have one thing that occurred to me while reading doing this reading, and then I want to talk about the ending. Sure. Um, so the thing that occurred to me doing this reading, so you know, I remember feeling a little queasy about some of the biblical quotes. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was younger, especially you know your your faith is sort of more forming and is is maybe held in more of a brittle fashion than it is when, you know, maybe you get older and you learn mm -hmm. more and you experience more. Um, I, I remember as a kid, especially, um, 
Because I read A Wind in the Door right after I read A Wrinkle in Time. Uh-huh. And I told my mom as I was reading it, Ah, you can tell this writer isn't a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. And my mom um, was like, Well, think about it a little more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, but, a, that's a pretty pretty uh, sharp pull on your mom's part, actually. Yeah. Um, no, but, so, like, you know, within the world of this book, obviously, like, the Bible exists and people outside of the earth quote it, right? Um, yeah. And you either <laughs> and have like to... the things that are impossible to translate get translated as the Bible. Right, right. But um, it occurred to me uh, on the the planet um, with the creatures who don't have eyes that I can't remember. Um, uh, it was X planet. X X X X X. Yeah, it was that. That's that's yep. how it, that's what it was. Um, I I just saw it anyway. Go on. She, uh, she qu- when matter. they're when they're talking about like this great universe wide struggle, mm-hmm. um, they're talk. They uh, Aunt Beast quotes the the passage that I believe is from Romans. The whole um, those he has called, yep. he has also justified. The Romans eight stuff. Um, which which you is know quoted several times. It's first quoted yeah, yeah. by. Meg's father. Right. When they land on that planet. Right. And then later it's quoted by Aunt Beast on that planet. So it's it's a fascinating sort of tie-in with all of the stuff about, you know, language and and nominalism and so forth that's going on um in this book because, you know, the especially it that particular passage, the whole, you know, those whom he is called, he has also justified like there's a very sticky, like, theological wicket, um, <laughs> which depend, you know, almost how you navigate that passage almost determines what denomination you're in or Pretty what much. Christian tradition you're in. Yeah. Um, you know, in the same way that, like, in, in popular music, like, the, the drums and the bass interaction determines which genre you're in. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so it, it just gets so specifically, like, explained within biblical, like, um, exegesis, right? Yep. Uh, but what occurred to me on this reading was, like, there are also passages, you know, in the Bible itself about God's word being eternal and, like, my word will never pass away mm-hmm. and so forth. So if you're asserting a universe in which there are other planets um, or other, you know, complete races and civilizations and so forth, and... Um, you are also asserting a universe in which the Bible exists and presumably from the text is true, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you could argue about the value of, of true that it that it is or might be, but, sure. but it's true to some value of that word, right? Um, now, positing those two things, it actually makes perfect sense that people on the other planets would have this same exact word and it would mean something different. Yeah. You know, like, like mm-hmm. not necessarily that it would mean something different, but it would be exegeted in a completely different way. Sure. Well, you could say still meaning the same thing um, at its at its core. Right, but at least emphasized differently. Yeah, well, emph- but or... also just, you know, the call um, in this context, the way Anbi seems to be quoting it is it's about we're fighting this war but we have a very powerful ally right which is what you know is a thing that that passage can mean or does mean but on earth here 
it means that in a very different way. Right. Yeah. So that's just an observation that I that I and a very interesting on one, and you, just the tracing of all the quoting in general is really interesting. Yeah. The Bible dominates the quotes. That's another certainly, uh, except for uh, but Mrs. Who. Mrs. Who quotes a bunch quotes of other things. Freaking everything. Yeah. Like Mrs. Who's vocabulary of quotes is. And One of this the most is the first time I read this book. book knowing enough German and French to oh, understand some of sure, the quotes sure, sure. without seeing there the are, her translation There afterward. are some of the French and Latin quotes that yep. when she translates them, it's like, well, it yeah. <laughs> kind of loses something from the right. original translation. And, and I don't and know it's a little bit of a loose translation. Yeah, and I don't know if that's Lengel taking poetic license. She probably just Googled it. Or, or <laughs> just Googling it there in 1962 or 61 or whatever. She's actually writing the book. Yeah, that makes good sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or, or whether, you know, whatever whatever it is. I, I don't know whether it's intentional or whether it's a lack of linguistic facility on, on someone's part. Because she could very well be looking up other translations. Sure. I mean, I certainly wouldn't put it past her to speak eight languages or whatever but you know right. when a writer needs a, a quote quick they're not above but it also works so sources. well to have just a loose translation yes. because yes. the communication theme in here is yes i'm communicating with you but you don't understand everything that i'm saying right and so yes something is lost in translation in a right. very literal way right and that's not yeah that's not an illegitimate thing um you know, translators are fascinating. Like, there's there have been movies where, um, like, French movies that I've watched where I know just enough French to catch some of the lines in the mm-hmm. original before the subtitles. And sometimes the subtitles, it's like, well, that's a technically accurate translation, but there's like, this... Something there's like, is lost. Yeah, it's, sometimes it's like uh, parallelism, you know, yep. that they don't translate yep. fully just to try yep. to fit the subs on the screen. You know, I, I, I'm not trying to take swipes at any translators or subtitlers because, no, like, that job must be very difficult. Exactly. But... It's it's the curse of translation. Yeah, That exactly. something is going to be lost in exactly. some even small, seemingly insignificant way. Yeah. And that's one of the themes of this book, that right. translation from, well, often from the higher to the lower, but even... In the case of Megan on Aunt Beast, from the lower to the higher, something is lost in translation. Right. And it's interesting, it reminds me, um, and we could be getting into very sticky territory here, but, you know, in Christian traditions, like, the Bible gets translated into sort of every language and every, yep. you know, um, dialects even sometimes. Uh, and, um, you know, the, the Reformation obviously helped some of that, but... The, even before the Reformation, we were using Latin a lot, and yep, Latin which was, was not the original language. Yeah. Um, whereas in, for example, the Islamic tradition, the Quran, outside of the, the original Arabic. Arabic, is not the Quran. Right. Um, they say that very explicitly. And if you purchase a Quran that's in English, for yeah. example, it's not called the Quran. It's called the translation of the Quran. Yeah, yeah. Very explicitly. Which is an interesting thing because, you know, uh, the the sort of Muslim solution seems more 
sort of like to to a very high level human intelligence i guess seems like the better way to transmit divine truth yeah in the sense that if it came down in this language you keep it in this language and that's sure. the only language it's in which the christian tradition will always refer to the original yes. language and but we'll say... allow that the word of god can be spoken in the common language exactly and you know we we would say uh you know infallibility obviously is yet another sticky topic but right we would say the only word that's infallible is the word in the original language right so the greek or the hebrew that the older new testaments were written in right uh but yeah that it's it's an interesting it almost um to me to my mind which obviously has certain prejudices or pre preconceptions is a more sort of uh robust view of what we claim to be is the word of god right right that, that there's somehow some deeper sort of set of meanings that goes beyond the words well, and the nuances here's, and the here's my pastoral you know, perspective yes. on it that it's acknowledging our limitations right to have a translation and to say yes this is a translation and it is right the truth but we're going to bow to the fact that there's something more right which me saying that uh -huh. is itself formed by this book <laughs> interesting yeah yeah well and that's that's sort of what i was getting at is that that's what this book very much brings out is the fact that if there is truth that truth has to transcend linguistic limitations right even transcend though it, me and my limitations yeah even though my linguistic limitations even though and, those limitations are there in any communication i do regarding this the truth that's there can still break out of those limitations right right and okay honestly i wasn't gonna try to go religious talking about right. this book but you but almost it's really impossible you can't help it yeah um you know and that's that's why and it's I, not because she quotes the bible so much it's, it's because of the themes of the book right exactly and you know Lugwin langle is, i'm sorry i'm sorry to everybody um langle is very much a religious writer and i think she's quite frank about that both yeah. in her fiction and in her essays about it was her fiction victor hugo describes Lemis as a religious work and i think madeline langle every work is a religious yeah, work yeah absolutely um yeah very much so okay so in the very few minutes we have left that's I right i want right. to talk about the ending yes ask me your question so here's my question well and it's partly just sort of a grumble or a rant a little bit all right um but i'm gonna try we to haven't keep had it any of those this episode or ever in the podcast <laughs> um so this ending right yeah um in a lot of ways it obviously thematically makes sense and you know it's it's uh it very much sort of climaxes the book i had if if i was going to if i was asked is there a flaw in this book um first of all i would say what are you an idiot there are no flaws in this book but <laughs> second of all if you pointed a gun at me and said no you have to find something that you think is a flaw it would be this ending okay um because just of you know it's abrupt like you said that's part mm -hmm. of it 
Um, and part of it is just the whole thing of Meg just sort of winning saying, by love. Well, it, not only winning by love, but winning by saying I love you. Sure. Because that's, you know, can be very much sort of a shallow thing, right? Plenty of people say I love you to other people and then turn around and hit them or mm -hmm. abuse them in more subtle ways. But then they say I love you, right? Um, and I guess what I would have wanted, you know, if the universe just bent to my whims always, would be for there to have been something that was more showy rather than telly. Sure. Um, to use technical literary terms that us, you know, yep. English masters use. Right. Uh, you know, something that where she would have had to <laughs> take some physical pain or do something else to, you know, because, like, the the type of love that, that is the theme in this book is very much sort of the action love. It's not the, the like, love of, of sonnets where I'm going to praise your or eyes and your nose. Or the feeling of love. Or, yeah, the feeling of love. It's very much sort of the, the love that, like, I'm going to wade into the midst of this it's extremely painful to, situation to bring, because I love you. To bring Greek up again, it's agape. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, um, it as opposed to the, the, well, the eros, which is considered the lowest form of right, love, right. or the, the, the philos, which is the that feeling sort of love. Right. Um, yeah, this is this is very much that, that agape love. Um, and I just wanted... Maybe because of the whole hero's journey thing and the hero is sort of inherently a Christ figure and, you know, Meg mm -hmm. is, is sort of a Christ figure. I wanted there to be some at least implied or symbolic like death and resurrection mm -hmm. thing. I didn't really find it there. Sure. So really the question I have, if it's a question, is just me having said that. What is your reaction? Because I'd like to sure. be wrong, but I haven't been able to think of any anything beyond that and and the you pointing out meg as a christ figure is accurate uh -huh. perfectly accurate in fact i'll say there are several christ figures in here oh yeah absolutely um we we pointed out the the the, the maiden mother and uh um crone. crone uh illustration earlier and that's one trinity in the yes, book yeah and then there's another trinity of meg charles wallace and calvin right um which becomes then meg calvin and her father right um because calvin has essentially been lost right but needs to be recovered or charles has uh, yeah charles charles yeah. wallace has yep. yeah so there there's that trinity which instinctively causes the reader to see that trinity as partially christ figure right and I, I'm not going to make it too theological and and say that uh, uh, Madeline Lingle is a is a patripassian or a modalist, um, <laughs> but um, you've got essentially all the facets of the Christ figure in that trinity of characters. Yeah. yeah. Because Charles Wallace does go through a death and resurrection. Right. And Meg herself also kind of goes through a death and a resurrection. Almost. She has to be multiple. nursed back by uh aunt beast yeah and and stuff and Almost so she meg goes through multiple deaths yeah, and resurrections several, several yes yeah so she she does go through that and it's it's almost as though the redemption of charles wallace comes after her death and resurrection okay and so it's it's to to put it in theological 
Lutheran terms. Uh-huh. Uh, we've got the justification that occurs and then the sanctification right. of I love you, I love you, I love you that comes at the end of the book where she's calling him back after she's already done everything. Huh. And okay. she's gone through everything and won and therefore saying, come on, I've won. I love you, I love you, I love you. Sure. That's that's okay. essentially how I, I see so it. So almost the, the actions that I'm looking for all happened before she yes, actually goes to the, the place. Yes. Okay. That's that's essentially how I see it. That's like, I, I had not thought of that, and that's def, I like that better than anything I had thought of. Sure. And I think it rings very true. So. Sure. The, the one thing that um, stuck out to me, because honestly, I didn't remember how this book ended. I, oh, I remembered okay. that they won. Yeah. I remember that it was a good ending. Yeah. And, and all of that. But I didn't remember exactly how it ended. Yeah. So coming to this, I was really anxious to see how does this end. Right. And then, so again, the abrupt ending surprised me. And yeah. that is exactly why I didn't remember how it ended. Because sure. it was so abrupt. And so sudden. Yeah. And like, and and here's what's interesting about that. Here's my thought about that as I reflected upon it in, mm. the, in the hours after I finished reading it again mm-hmm. on this, on this read. Um, You've got the 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 three the three messers uh, mesdames, um, <laughs> who um, appear uh, one after the other in the beginning of the book. They're the they're the names of the first three chapters. Sure. And um, they're they're the friends of the protagonist and and her friends, and they right. they guide them through the whole story. And then they appear at the end for one last hurrah, and then disappear. Right. And that's the abrupt ending. It's it's yeah um, yeah yeah. The, there was a gust of wind and they were gone. Right. And that's the end of the book. And Which... nothing else happens. And that's so abrupt. But here's 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 what I think about that. Number one, uh-huh. um, when I first read this, and this is why I wasn't disappointed by that when I first read this. Sure. When I first read this, uh, one of my favorite movies was Pete's Dragon. Uh huh. And how Pete's Dragon ends is the dragon leaves. Yeah, right, right, right. Uh, the imaginary friend leaves because, uh, as interpreted through the the boy Pete, um, there's another kid who needs him. Sure, sure Pete doesn't sure. need him anymore. Right. But there's another kid somewhere right. who does. Which is so very much what you easily could justifiably assume about exactly. these three. And, well, and they say, you see, we have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, that's right, what that's they. Right. So they have to do something, and so there's some imaginary. They, they 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 are the imaginary friends. Right. There's somebody else they have to help. They're still on this mission. Or some other planet, maybe. Right. Or right. someone's father. Well, and they're described as guardian angels, and so they've yeah. done their guardian angeling, an- yeah. angeling, an- angeling, 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 for the Murrays. <laughs> I thought about throwing you a rope, but I decided to let you sink in that. Thank you. That's all right. Um, so they've done their job yeah, here. Yeah, they yeah. need to go off and help someone else. Yeah. So that's that's the first also, part of that. Yeah. Here's an interesting thing that I only thought of on this read at that that very last line of the book. Um, gust of wind and they were gone. Gust of wind. Uh, one of the great insights that I had over the course of my grad school career, partly as a result of just taking as many classes in as many different sort of literary traditions as I could or mm-hmm. even cultural traditions or context is the fact that pretty consistently across various cultures wind and breath 
and spirit mm-hmm. are all very much conflated. Yep. Well, so, they have the same word in like Hebrew. In a bunch of <laughs> yeah, not only in Hebrew but like I think in in Greek. Yep. Maybe? Um, but also Ruach in like or pneuma. But also in multiple Native American languages, sure. the same word, um, and you know various other languages, and it's. So, like, when you hear wind or, like, a gust of wind or, or something like that, you always need to be looking out for the idea of spirit or something. I'm breaking a rule. Um, something like that. I lose. Oh, Michael loses. I didn't think we would have a loss on this episode, gentle listener, but right here in the, in the uh, closing hours, Michael lost. So I'm going to find the thing that gonna use to uh punish his loss and i'm gonna try to keep talking but the sound of michael's pee in the the room that shares a wall with this room is pretty distracting i have to say so how's losing feel Uh, kind of a relief probably a little bit yeah I'd like to dedicate this loss to my wife, who encouraged me to drink lots of water. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is part of the rule. Like, I feel like if you had not done what you did, you would still lose, because part of the rule is not not losing. Right. If I just contracted a UTI, yeah, I would have lost. Yes. So. Are you ready to suffer the consequences of your la- loss. Oh, we're just going to punish me right now? I mean, we might as well. We're all pretty right, much all done, right. right? All right, sure. Did you, okay. You were talking guess, about the spirit and the yes, pneuma so, and the ruach and all yes, that stuff. Yes, the, the fact that um, anytime oh. you have wind, it's a spirit, and this right. is clearly not unintentional right. for being um, the last I also want to, I, I, I do want to point out just in that context, too, before you punish me, that yes. that does create a bookend for this oh, book because it begins yeah. with a storm yeah, and, and the wind is pointed out very explicitly in the in the second paragraph technically even though the first okay. paragraph is just one line and the first paragraph I did want to point this out earlier well the first four paragraphs it starts it was a dark and stormy night and then um, I want to continue on here if I can just point this out really quickly yeah, before we end in Absolutely. her attic bedroom so right away I'm interested yeah uh, Margaret Murray wrapped in an old patchwork quilt and the patchwork just pointing it out interesting uh-huh. sat at the foot of her bed and watched the trees tossed in the frenzied lashing of the wind and there's the wind yep behind the trees clouds scudded frantically across the sky oh, it's just such every good few moments the moon ripped through them creating wraith-like shadows that yeah. raced across the, across the ground just look at that alliteration and alliteration too and accidents and also just imagery yeah like you could use these opening few paragraphs to teach a class in prose. Yes. Yes, you definitely could. Then, the house shook. Boom. Yeah. Wrapped in her quilt, Meg shook. Yeah. So, uh, it, it establishes Meg as part of this terrifying scene, and she's connected to the horror, the terror that's going on. She's afraid, and she's part of it all. Um, and then, But then the final... The final scene is so happy and joyful. And here's another reason that I'm not disappointed in this abrupt ending. Sure. It's so happy and joyful. The the Mrs. Who, What's It, and and Which are all there. Right. And then there's that gust of wind and they're gone. Right. And I don't mind. Like, 
because it's it's resolved. Everything yeah, is done. Everything true. is established. And the the terror that was begun is no longer there. The gust of wind comes at the end, and it's come it's coming in the context of something that's happy. Right. And so it's it's a perfect bookend because yeah, the whole so. arc is completed. And part of that's probably partly why you know I I perceived a flaw in in the one scene, but not in the ending of the book as a whole. Sure. Um, I guess remembering it before rereading it, I did remember all the sort of all the resolutions, mm-hmm. but in my mind they took place over a much greater span of time. Yeah, no. That may have just here. been sort of a expectation from other other books or how I might write it if I were writing it. You or know. just the the memory that has established itself over yeah. the, over time being but, distanced from the book. Yeah. That but like, you just remember the idea that I'm cool with the ending, and I like it, and, it, and yeah, it's a but great I, I, book. <laughs> I remembered, you know, the, the climactic scene with Megan and, you know, it and Charles Wallace, um, and I remembered them sort of just reappearing in the garden and having that reunion. I remembered the three madams <laughs> going away, but I didn't remember that all of the things I just said happened over the course of, like, two and a half pages. Right? Um, you know, that... There's that so much... Been, squished in at the end yeah. it's it, its own storm right at the end yeah, but yeah, it's a yeah, yeah. it's a happy storm but i i it's don't a think positive it's positive storm yeah i don't think it's it's illegitimate or, or bad right. in any way it's just it, abrupt like you said but you know that's i i think um just from langle's prose and her writing yep. i think she's very much of the philosophy of like well if you can say it shorter, and if you're done saying it, then just get out. Don't and just, yeah, you know, exactly. There's no reason to to linger except for self indulgence, and that's uh, right. You know, unnecessary. If I may just say like one teaser sentence at the end of all of this. Yes. And I'm gonna try to formulate it well. Yes. Um, Madeline Langle does a masterful job of layering that idea of fate and free will uh-huh. that we talked about yeah. with the tension between individuality and belonging mm-hmm. and throughout all of that a religious context mm. uh, or or a pan-religious context however however you want to you want to take it and, right. I, and I think she apologized for this book or or something later yes in her she life. did she did um which is which is funny to me she I, said I, I she get it I get it basically definitely. said she was a heretic but when she wrote right. this book um which is a whole other fascinating can of worms right but connecting the characters and and here here's something that we could have talked about at length I think but the the title of the first three chapters, which are the names of the Mesdames, yeah. are also the questions Meg is asking about herself. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh-huh. um, uh, so just taking all of that in, the layers to this book, it's no wonder this book won a new Mary. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's no wonder this book has lived on in the psyche of humanity of our of right. our american consciousness right and um is being made into a movie in 2018 right um, even though it was written in 1962 years ago <laughs> right yeah it, it, it's it's a it's a marvelous masterful book and will remain one of my favorite novels of all yeah. time no i was you know i was intimidated last month um by reading a Gene Wolfe book and especially doing only two episodes on it. Yeah. Um, 
I was almost more intimidated this month <laughs> doing this book. Just By a book 100 pages shorter. 100 pages shorter and in some ways less sort of tricky and complex mm-hmm. but i was still almost more intimidated just by the task of doing any kind of justice to this right. book and i think i expressed to you that one could write a dozen papers on this book and only scratch the surface oh absolutely okay so punish me we are already massively over time i yeah, need to massively. punish you <laughs> we're already over time sure <laughs> fair a fair amount right one might describe it as massive. One might. But... If one were so inclined. But maybe not. I don't know. I guess we're not. Anyway, I need to punish you. I yep. need to... We need to do our ratings. Stop describing what we have to and do. We and we need just to do it. Do the, do the closing stuff. All right. <laughs> so, since there has been... And I checked. I didn't check, but I just am pretty sure. No rule against reusing punishments. <laughs> No. There is one punishment that I love our charter, so much. Our official charter. Yes, our official charter, as read <laughs> by Karen. There is one punishment that I love so much, and we've brought it back like at every excuse I could find, and I'm bringing it back again. Okay. Uh, here is the William McGonagall gem of the day. Great. Um, now, to uh, quickly re-up the gentle listener, William McGonagall, often considered the worst poet in the English language, Victorian poet with Pretty no much sense universally of considered. rhythm, rhyme, po- po- just poetry in general. Um, McGonagall-online.org.uk is a wonderful site just called McGonagall Online. I believe it has this complete poet- poetic works, has articles about him, why he's the worst poet, and they have a McGonagall gem of the day every day. Which is great. Um, where they just pull one of his poems and say, here... Michael, you need to be punished on your <laughs> podcast, so please read this one. So, as before, you must read this poem poem without laughing. Ugh. And when you laugh, you lose again. I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. I'll do my best. Real well defined. All right. All right. Start with the title this and poem proceed. By William McGonagall is entitled. Ugh. I lost already. I know you did. The punishment. Uh, The Miraculous Escape of Robert Allen the Fireman. I hate you. I'm not you. laughing. I hate you. I know. I hate you so much. <laughs> <clears throat> Twas in the year of 1888, and on October the 14th day, that a fire broke out in a warehouse, and for hours blazed away. And the warehouse, now destroyed, was occupied by the Messrs. R. Wiley, Hill, and Company. Situated in Buchanan Street in the city of Glasgow, the flames burst forth about three o'clock in the afternoon, and intimation about the outbreak spread very soon, and in the spectators' faces were depicted fear and consternation, while the news flew like lightning to the fire brigade station. And when the brigade reached the scene of the fire, the merciless flames were ascending higher and higher, raging furiously in all the floors above the street, and within twenty minutes... The structure was destroyed by the burning heat. Then the roof fell in, pushing out the front wall, and the loud crash thereof frightened the spectators, one and all, <laughs> because it shook the neighboring buildings to their foundation and caused throughout the city a great sensation. Several men were injured by the falling wall, and as the bystanders gazed thereon, it did their hearts appall, but the poor pe- fellows bore up bravely without uttering a moan. And with all possible speed, they were conveyed home. 
The firemen tried to play upon the building where the fire originated, but alas, their efforts were unfortunately frustrated because they were working those <laughs> hose pipes in a building occupied by the Messrs. Smith and Brown. But the roof was fired, and amongst them it came crashing down. And miraculously, they escaped, except one fireman. The hero of the fire named Robert Allen, who was carried with the debris down to the street floor, and what he suffered must have been hard to endure. He traveled fast. He traveled to the fire in Buchanan Street on the first machine that was ordered, very fleet, along with Charles Smith and Dan Ritchie, and proceeded to Brown and Smith's buildings that were burning furiously. And in the third floor of the building, he took his stand most manfully without fear with the hose in his hand and played on the fire through a window in the gable with all his might, the hero, as long as he was able, and he remained there for about a quarter of an hour. While from his hose upon the building, the water did pour. When, without the least warning, the floor gave way, and down he went with it. Oh, horror and dismay. And with the dis debris and floor, he got jammed. <laughs> I'm sorry. You, I tried. That was you, did, you did, as William McGonagall would say, manfully. <laughs> Oh, you almost got to the end, actually. I know, I got close. I was, tried really hard. Yeah, that, I was, that was, quite I, was impressive. I was I was trying to channel a muted Perd Hapley. <laughs> That's who you were doing. Because I was like, your delivery was probably helping you with your longevity. <laughs> yep. Because, like, yeah, no, the way that you delivered it just sounded sort of like a bored alderman <laughs> who had this thing written by a intern who was decent at writing but couldn't, like, keep unintentional rhymes out of your prose. <laughs> right. And that's a much better way to deliver it than, like, as if you were delivering actual poetry. Right. Um, you, you've got two choices. Deliver it that way or deliver it like Dr. Seuss. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, no, that was, that was quite good. Uh, I thought about cutting you off at a certain point and just saying, okay, I, you know, <laughs> I'm gonna have some grace here and just but I, but at a certain point, I was like, maybe he'll get through it. <laughs> and I was hoping I would, but and I, I it was probably my fault, just like it was last time. Yeah, that's okay. But that's okay, right. so that was very good. Thank you for that uh, excellent interpretation. You're welcome. Of one of the worst poems by one of the worst poets oh in the English gosh, language. Gosh, it was awful. It's so bad. My soul um, died a little bit <laughs> every line. Anyway, uh, so. Uh, that said, yep, that brings us to the end. I'm afraid. Yep. Um, or I'm not afraid. I, eh. I don't know. I I don't know what my emotions are. Whatever. Um, your emotions don't count. That's true. Michael and Ethan don't room with Ethan's emotions. They don't even read, let alone count. Um, <laughs> good. So, uh, I need the script because I can't remember anything. Who are you? I'm Michael. Oh, hi. I'm Ethan. Um, Hello. Thank you. <laughs> so. Uh, uh, let's review. Should we review first or should we let's, reveal let's next review month's book? Let's review first and then reveal. Okay. So what do we review first? The scotch? All right, Michael. So we have been drinking, which I realized halfway through this episode, I forgot to say at the beginning. We didn't announce at the beginning. No, we really didn't. Well. But again, if you're listening, there's part a wrinkle two in and time not and part one stuff. Yeah. So we've, we've been drinking Glen Goyne 12-year-old single malt scotch whiskey, Highland single malt. Mm -hmm. um, the, the label says unhurried since 1833, which I just love. 
Um, it says lemon zest, toffee apples, and a scent of coconut. Mm. Hand-selected oak casks help create this paradise of flavors and rich golden color. Mm-hmm. It's the taste of Scotland's slowest distillation, which seems like a weird thing to brag about, but there you are. <laughs> We're the slowest! <laughs> which, I mean, in Scotch terms, it is <laughs> right. a real brag, but there you are. Anyway, uh... Taste of Scotland's slowest distillation and our insistence on barley dried by air, never peat. Mm. Um, and the the which makes it not an eyelay. Right, and the woman but. who um, uh, uh, runs the local liquor store and is very knowledgeable. She was telling me that um, be, they they there's less peat in the production of the scotch. Sure than in most scotches in fact in she said in pretty much any other scotch um that it's finished over peat but there's no peat in the rest of the process which makes it less peaty and less smoky mm-hmm. um so that's an interesting tidbit so that said what did you think of the scotch i believe you well owe us a rating between one and five stars i do um i was gonna say it's very floral okay um however you reading that description i think most Prejudiced of the floral you. is lemon yeah effect. yeah 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 but still, it's absolutely delightful in its complex nose. Mm. And the way it goes down, it's smooth. Yeah. Oh, so smooth. Um, but super complex. And, yeah. uh, like, it listed all the flavors on the bottle, which almost seems like cheating. Right. <laughs> but, um, no, the the lemon is very, very much at the front, but then it's also very toffee or caramely yeah. um, towards the end. Uh, so yeah. it's absolutely delightful, and I could drink this for days. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I almost bought a glass of this just recently, on my anniversary, in fact. At a bar? Um, at a bar. Sure. Well, at a restaurant. Sure. Um, I, I didn't. I, I bought a different scotch. Um which was not as good, and I'm I'm sad that I didn't I didn't order this. Um, but I, honestly, after drinking a couple glasses of this, I I have to give it five stars. I can't wow. give it anything less than five. Okay, this is absolutely amazing. Okay, cool. Um, my my gut was saying four point five. Okay, I'm not sure exactly why I rated half a star lower than yours, other than you know, um, I guess like there's a lot of I, I agree with most of what you said. Like, there's, it's really complex. It's really smooth. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess maybe I like a little bit more of like a ruffian sure. thing in my whiskey. You're, and you're a really fan of doesn't... peat. I'm a fan of peat. I'm a fan of too. smoke. Um, and like, I'm a fan of sort of a roguish element to it. And this sure. really doesn't have any roguishness. Um, which it's not what it's going for, and it does I think everything that it is going for. Right. I was picking up a lot of like almond almost sure. like marzipan-y type of mm, notes gotcha. um, even like hazelnutty definitely some vanilla stuff but like the lemon is definitely there mm-hmm. and there is just a hint of the smoke on the back end sure um that i really really like like mm-hmm. i like that that because it does um you know despite it maybe not being like the type of category that i like the fact that that all that stuff is on the front, that very complex set of mm-hmm. things, and then there's just a little bit of like the smokiness just on the back end. Mm-hmm. That's just very nice and very sort of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, solid, solid four point five for me. Definitely one of my 
more favorite scotches, I would say. Right. So far. Yeah. Cool. Definitely for me, too. Cool. So, I mean, we almost don't need to do the next segment because, like, what are we both going to say about the book? Recommend. Buy it. it, Read it. Borrow it. Forget about it. Buy it. Buy it. Buy Buy multiple copies to give to other people. Read it repeatedly. Read it until your first copy wears out and then that second copy that you bought also read that i i, I here here's my recommendation yes. which which is different from yours but similar um buy eight copies okay okay eight copies yes. and here's what you do with those eight copies yes. one you keep for yourself yes. you read it yes. over and 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 over again okay. and you're writing it and you circle things and you underline things all over the like place like a monster like yes. a monster that's your copy yes then the other seven copies uh, when you come across somebody who hasn't read the book, you give it to them. Yes, immediately. Immediately. Yeah. And then when you run out of those seven copies... And then when they say, how can you give me this book? You say, oh, I have six other copies. Exactly, exactly. And then when you run out of those, you buy seven more. Right. So you always have that many copies. You've got eight copies yeah, yeah, yeah. to keep the baptism metaphor alive. <laughs> and then you keep giving those away. Right. And when you get down to just one, then you give away... Then, then you buy seven more yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and keep giving them away. Yeah. But, you know, if, if your particular copy wears out, see, see, you suggest just, you know, buying another one or, yeah. or having that extra one for yourself. No, yeah. keep that same one that wears out and falls to pieces. That's your copy. Right. That's your copy, Ethan. Don't get rid of that. That's your copy of A Wrinkle in Time. I would say you need buy to, a second You one. need to love it and care for it and tape it up and repair it and keep it. Don't replace it with another one. Okay. Don't okay. read a different one. This, That's your copy. We might have to disagree to disagree on this one because I am lazy. <laughs> I don't have the time or energy to... Do you see the binding on my copy? Do you see this thing falling apart? I love it. I cherish it. I care for it. I'm going to fix it. I love you. I love it. Please stop rubbing it on your face and neck. I will not. You can't stop me. It's mine and I love it. I can't stop you. I'm just making a request. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So that's the disturbing stuff we have to say about that. Uh... How did you feel about the Scotch book pairing Michael? Here's my first instinct. It that 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 word that you said that's written on the bottle. Unhurried. Unhurried yeah. is delightful. Right. I love it. Uh and I think that matches the book so perfectly. Right. It's delightful. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. I need a third hand sometimes. <laughs> um <laughs> we, all do. we all do. Uh that's that's awesome. Um aside from that there's so much complexity. Layers, which yeah. is the beauty of a good scotch, is yeah. the layers, and also the beauty of this book is the layers. Yeah. Um, and that that uh, that floral, what I wanted to say was floral, but ultimately decided was lemon. Yeah. Which is maybe just shows that I don't have a career in scotch tasting. <laughs> um, so why are you listening to this podcast, you fool? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, that's that's awesome. Yeah. And. Also, I think fits this book, especially in those chapters on uh, on the on Beast Planet. Yeah. Um, where you know sight is such a limiting sense, but right. everything else is so much more enhanced. Which which is kind of one of those things that you you know you hear about people who lose their sight and then all the other senses become enhanced. Right. That's that that fits with this scotch. Yeah. And so I, I give it a thumbs up. 
I, I, like I felt like the the similar similar to you like there's a lot of layers there's a lot of stuff going on and you know you could almost say the hint of smoke it represents like the hint of menace in this book sure. even though that's there oh, even though it's not can, can i add you know. a, something here in the middle of your review here yeah um i didn't bring this up but about how formative this book is uh-huh. um it was after i read this book that i tried my hand first at writing a novel okay in sixth grade right um and Which is always brilliant always brilliant you want to know what that book was about yes uh it was about um a boy uh-huh. a young boy who was really smart in school but was kind of an outcast uh-huh. and was walking down the street one day and somebody in a raincoat appeared in front of him and uh-huh. was like we need your help to save this planet uh-huh. and took him on a spaceship but somehow that spaceship traveled faster than the speed of light right. and got him there in time so that he wasn't really losing time on earth right and he appeared on this planet where the inhabitants um strangely somehow resembled aunt beast and were all being trapped by some evil force <laughs> and he needed to save them uh because he was this innocent child and right. could do that and defeat the evil force and stuff so well i mean the the parallels are astounding yeah they are <laughs> completely unexpected and astounding right Oh, You'd man. never see it coming. <laughs> so, do you want to know what it's we're going to... formative yes. the book is. Anyway, yes. Do you want to know what we're going to read next month? I definitely do. Okay. Well, uh, this will probably not surprise you, considering a text conversation we had recently. Um, but I have, you know, at any given time for this podcast, I have a list of probably a dozen or so titles Whoop. that are sort of... How's my text? At the top, thank you, of, um, you know, of what I might decide to to impose on you to right. read for the next month, um, you know, and and so beyond that, like those like twelve titles, what gets selected, has is pretty arbitrary. It's you know has to do with like hmm. what mood I'm in on the day that we record, even right or like maybe it's Lent and I want to be a little nice to you and and read a shorter book. I don't. We're definitely reading both volumes yeah. of Don Quixote. Ah, next month. No, I'm just kidding. I hate you. Um, but which we might do at some point, but not this month. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I wouldn't really be able to be mad at you, <laughs> considering you had us read John Frayn Steinbeck. Yeah, and you loved it, I so you're welcome. Have no comment on that matter. Anyway, um, so yeah, we we uh, you know have uh I, I have all those considerations and and uh but this the the book we're gonna do next month really just from reading this book i was forced to choose this book even though it, you know it, it was it was in that sort of dozen first like ideas that i had but but out of those dozen i just sort of couldn't couldn't not choose this one okay um i didn't buy it for you because i <gasps> 99% certain you have a copy? Oh, okay. Um, the book is The Ocean at the End of the Lane <laughs> by Neil Gaiman. Yes, I have a copy of okay. that book. And I was almost certain I'd I was tempted yourself. to talk about it in the context of this book. Yes, me too, because that was the text conversation yep. we had. Because I asked you if you'd read it, and you said you had. And I would read that book much more recently than... Um, than I had ever read A Wrinkle in Time, partly because it just came out right, right. very fairly recently. 
Um, but also just because the parallels uh, are astounding. Are astounding. <laughs> um, and I, you know, so, you know, Neil Gaiman, his prose gets sort of people take pot shots at it sometimes. Um, partly because he's much less interested in the prose itself than he is in using it to tell a good story. Yeah. Um, but Ocean at the End of the Lane is the only one of Neil Gaiman's books that I find if I read it too fast, I get dizzy. Sure. Um, it's just, it's, you know, it's to this date, I want to say, his latest novel, um, after a bunch, you know, yeah. a long, you know, and it's a short novel, so it's on the border of, of being short fiction, which he's better at things, anyway. The only things after that are a short story collection. And, and then Norse mythology, yep. which isn't really a novel. Um, so it's short and it's, it's just, it's very much, you know, you can tell at a certain point when a master of the craft just as utterly confident in everything that they're doing right um you know with langle it's every novel after a wrinkle in time um with neil with with you know ray bradbury it's anything he published after i would say 1990 sure um gene wolf it's like anything he published after (laughs) fifth head of cerberus yeah uh you know his first major novel Mm-hmm. And this is where Neil Gaiman hit it, where he just, it's just so distilled and everything is I'll, just so utterly layered. I'll say this now and remind me, gentle listener, to back this up when we record our episodes on The Ocean at the End of the Lane. Oh, I will. Here's 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 what I'll say. It's the perfect length. Yeah. The Ocean at the End well, of the exactly. Lane Well, exactly. And that's length. part of achieving that master yep. level is you know, knowing when your story is done yep. and just quitting. And, and Which ex- is exactly what like we a, talked his about shortest at the end novel, of A Wrinkle in Time. But it's perfect. But it's, it's, per- it's you know, and part of that is... I've been is, wanting to reread it, too. You know, so. Yeah, me too, actually. Um, you know, and, and part of that is, uh, you know, at a certain point when you know you're going to sell your book, you don't have to hit a word count to know you're going to sell it. You just know you're Neil Gaiman and you your publisher will publish it and you will sell it. But that's a great place for a writer to be at because then they right. can just write the well, length that they and then need too, something to the, be. Like, here's what's brilliant about that, and we don't need to go into it too much. He has a following. He has a publisher. He has people who will read the book yeah. already yeah. because it has his name on it. Right. And then that becomes something that those people who love Neil Gaiman can recommend to others Without saying, here, read this thousand-page thing. Right, exactly. Here, read this. This little right. thing. This read this little thing. little thing. Read that. And then this will be a gateway drug to you reading all of his other exactly. freaking books. So. All right. We are now massively over time. Shut up. So I'm going to quick say, uh, next month we'll be reading The Ocean at the End of the Lane by Neil Gaiman. Please feel free to read along. If you'd like to join the discussion, visit us at tapestryradio.org. Leave your feedback in the context section. If you put Scotch Talk in the subject line, that helps us sort the communications. Um, If you like what we do here each month, reviewing us on iTunes or on whatever podcast platform Mm -hmm. you... I think Apple Podcasts is the more professional way to say it. Oh, is it? I didn't... I I don't know things. 
It's um, okay. The script says iTunes. Yeah, exactly. So that's <laughs> your fault, really. Um, uh, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, Stitcher, um, um, anywhere else. Uh, yeah. You know, various apps podcast that you can fanics. review us on. Podcast wherever fanics. you listen. To wherever podcasts. you listen to us, if you can review us positively and give us you know five stars out of five, out of five. and or ten not, out of ten not three any, out of three. anything less than what the full 100 percent is exactly um uh you know do that tell your friends retweet reshare the facebook stuff anything you can do like we don't have advertising at all on this just show just communicate just hit that share button yeah it's, just it's like it takes not even a second just yeah. click yeah no Done. one no one will judge you. No one will. Um, we'll thank you. We will thank you, yes. Uh, so, yeah, do that. Ethan um, will dance without a shirt on look, for if, you. If we get enough shares, I will do that. What what constitutes I'm, enough shares, Ethan? I'm going to say 100,000 shares. <laughs> for 100,000 shares, identifiable shares, I will post a video of me dancing without a shirt you on. You realize what's going to happen. It's gonna happen. I'm going to create a hundred thousand profiles on Twitter if and you, share it that many times. If you do that, I it deserves me dancing without a shirt on. <laughs> like that's fine. Okay, so um, that horrifying set of mental images said. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, it's at Room with Scotch. I am at Bjartlett, B J A R T L E T T. I'm at M G L I L I E N T H A L. Um. At M.G. Lilienthal, Thank in other you for words. clarifying what I just made very explicitly clear. Uh, it's just double whammy. It's only better. It's redundant. You're redundant. <laughs> Your whole face is redundant. Um, if you want... If by redundant you mean perfectly symmetrical and therefore the standard of beauty... Sure. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, if you want more Tapestry Radio shows, go to our website, tapestryradio.org. Correct. Uh... You can get, there you can get uh, our Anthology Fiction podcast, Intermission. Intermission. Um, you can get Pokemon Rollout, the Pokemon RPG Real Play podcast. Gotta catch them all. Um, very good. <laughs> uh, and um, I myself, I write a webcomic called Pin Porter Girl Detective. Um, it's at pinporterdetective.com, or if you search Pin Porter Girl Detective on Google, should get there. Um, mm -hmm. It's I write the script for this webcomic, and um, my one creative partner, Robin G, uh, draws the the pictures, and she's a brilliant artist. So mm -hmm. go there and look at that. I and have a hard stuff. copy of Volume One, and I'm expecting Volume Two soon. Yeah, definitely Volume Two will happen sometime in the future. Wrinkle. I think it's I think it's ready. I think I just haven't ordered it. Oh, really? Cool. Well, Robin sometimes does stuff that I don't know about, but, you know, she knows what she's doing. So, right. you know, trust her more than me, really. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I think that's that's all for this month. So, just join us next month. That's all, folks. Thank you, Porky. Um, join us next month for the ocean at the end of the lane. Woohoo! Thank you. We love you. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
purple. <laughs> Soylent brown. Soylent yellow. Soylent red. Obscurantism and obfuscation. Orally observed, gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Obviated objects of oblivion. Obambulating about. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. In the Tapestry Radio Network. Tapestryradio.org. From our fancy to yours.